You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and if I sound strange today it's because I'm talking to a box full of foam in a tiny airless lightless room. Uh, This is just another step towards the dream of having my own uh, tiny and ideally portable recording studio that would allow me to smash through these blurbs in a matter of moments. I'm currently trying to build something in a little cupboard under the stairs, but um, nothing's ever easy. This is Sarah Barron in an episode recorded during the Edinburgh Festival this year. And Sarah, I think, was the second or third show I saw at Edinburgh and really got my festival off to such an exciting start. Brilliant to see someone who I'd never seen before. Uh, She's been in the UK for a a few years now, but she is uh, an American lady and is completely just such a different voice. You know that feeling when you see someone and go, oh, we haven't got one of them. Uh, Well, now we have. Uh, Sarah is really, really funny, kind of urgently funny, has a wonderful um, pressing delivery uh, with loads and loads of energy. But she also, I, I felt in such safe hands as an audience member. And as I think I mentioned to her in this episode, so there were people of all ages doubled over and clutching their friends. It, it was a really exciting, very, very funny show. So I'm very pleased for you to make her acquaintance. This is Sarah Barron. Thanks for the show. Oh, oh my God, I loved it. I loved it. I, what I'm used to at this festival is seeing people who I've never seen before and they're newer because I've often seen people, unless they're kind of a, an import from somewhere that I'm right, like, oh, right, I've never right, seen right. this person. Um, most of the people that I've been recommending to people are new and exciting and, you know, 90% formed or still having ideas and stuff. It was such a joy to see someone completely new to me. Um, slight disappointment that you've been in the UK for seven years and I hadn't oh, noticed that. Yeah. I was like, oh, 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 right. Oh, you're one of us. Okay, fine. Um, but to see someone so formed as a comic and so I mean I said to you at the time I said to you when when we saw each other the 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 following day I saw an American those American girls on the front who can't have been more than 20 oh right 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 the elderly couple who can't have been less than 70 at separate points clutching each other or kind of hitting like the woman next to me Fee was hitting her friend on the arm everyone had that kind of uh, that sort of natural like, you grab the person next to... I'm relating incredibly hard to this, but just across everyone. It was just... A, it was it was brilliant. You were brilliant. Oh, thank you. It's so funny because I had, like, a, a moderately rough one on Saturday night. And my husband was in. And I sort of thought it had gone okay. And he was like, oh, rough? Like a tougher crowd. 
I hadn't known it was that tough a crowd, which sort of made me feel a bit unhinged. In other words, like it's sort of like it's that thing if someone sees a photo of you and and they tell you it's a good photo and you think it's yeah, terrible yeah, yeah. or yeah. vice versa. But um, but he was like, and then the the long and short of it was that he felt sitting in there on a Saturday night at the Pleasance that they never united as an audience. Okay. But what I felt looking at them was that they were sort of doing okay. Yeah. And then I had an okay round of applause, and I was like, oh, it's sort of this show that in ways that are positive and negative... Okay. I hope gives a little something to everyone. I see what you mean. But there weren't as many... It wasn't as cohesive. It wasn't as cohesive. There weren't as many group moments for everyone. Okay. Living and learning. (laughs) Getting through each one. And uh, this is your second year? Yes. At the festival, but you've been going for a while. You you've had an unusual journey into stand up. You started and stopped. I and... have had an unusual journey. So I started basically when I was twenty two, and I was in New York, and I was like, I had wanted to be an actor, and very quickly I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, be- there's because um, because there wasn't enough. Um, the word is escaping me, but it's like there wasn't enough control. Mm-hmm. Work was irrelevant. Right? You can't work hard enough in a certain way to be an actor. You kind of have to wait for a thing to come. Also, um, you know, with these things, you want to feel like you're properly good at it. Because, like, what are you doing? It's so, like, so competitive. Mm -hmm. It's just like, this is terrible. There's not enough, like, work. You know what? I don't even mean, like, there aren't enough jobs. I mean, like, if you decide you want to do stand-up, well, then what you do is sign yourself up to an open mic and write a joke. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a work you can do. There's no work you can do. You just have to kind of like wait for an audition to come. And you can take classes and whatever, but let's not kid ourselves about That's not work, work. is it? <laughs> sure. So they do stand-ups, right? So, so I tried stand-up, but it wasn't like, you know, so many people and so many of our mutual friends, presumably, it's like they were 13 years old and they were obsessed with these comedy albums and Richard Pryor and, the, you know, and all this sort of stuff. That wasn't my thing. I was just like watching some late night monologues on TV and was like, oh, that seems like I, that seems, I think. When, when you say monologues, what sort of thing? Like do you Conan, mean? like Conan's opening oh, monologue like or Jay Leno okay. or David yeah, Letterman, yeah. right? Like those sort of American talk show hosts. And I started doing it and it was New York in 2002. So really clubby. Was that post bust? What was was the circuit? Because my understanding of American stand-up is... Your understanding is probably better than mine, but keep going. Well, I feel like uh, 80s, it went bananas. And then I don't really know what happened in the 90s and noughts. I I don't know where things... Did it feel like... Was everyone going, wow, there's stand-up everywhere? Or was everyone going, oh, God... I do you know the honest and embarrassing answer is I don't know. It oh, was sort of, you, like sort of you? I knew, yeah, sort of I, I was sort of like showing up at a few open mics over the course of six mm. months or whatever it was. Mm. But I say open mics, it wasn't. They were like bringer shows. So yeah. you have to bring seven people. Fucking hell. Those seven people have to have a two drink minimum. My like even now, I had a part of why I think I had a, a tougher show on Saturday was because my husband was in. He's my husband. He's seen this show twelve times. Mm-hmm. I hate having people in that I know. And that impulse was that I like some people like, oh, I look out into the crowd and I see my friends. And I was like, whatever this is, I'm trying to learn. I want to do it on my own. And partly that's informed by the fact that you would need to take your friends. You'd need to drag your friends. Yeah, so you have to bring your friends. I had no idea. They have to spend money. You're asking them to then spend money in addition to their time. And, And I think there is a real open mic scene, but I just somehow wasn't dialed into that then. 
And I would say in some ways I still struggled to figure out how to write a joke, but like I didn't, whatever it was that I wanted to talk about, and also it's 22 and said with so many respect for our colleagues who are 22, I didn't like, I just didn't know what to do with this thing that I was interested in. And so I did six months of it. My anxiety was through the roof. I walked away. I was like, oh, I'll just write a little bit though. Because like, if you're writing, you're sort of doing this thing that feels interesting, saying what you want to say, but I don't have to deal with that shit. It's performance anxiety. And so I started doing that and it just like stand up, like just became this cancer for me. It was like, I thought it was the coolest thing. I thought like there was nothing in the world more powerful or cool than like comedians hanging in the back of a club, looking at their watch before they go on stage at the cellar. Like what is cooler than that? And it was just this thing. And over the course of like years, people would say like, do you perform though? Like, are you, you seem like you would, you know, it was just a criticism of somebody, but, um, and so that was sort of that. And I was just like, oh, thank you. And I would, the Moth is a storytelling organization in New York, which I don't know if you ever have heard of. Yes, I've, I'm not But they have like a big, they have like this big old storytelling podcast. And so like once a month I would do story stuff with them and I sort of felt good being on stage, but I didn't know people would always be like, oh, you're a stand up, And I'd be like, no, I just do this storytelling thing once a month. And it felt like just the bane of my existence and I didn't know what to do with it. And I was working as a writer and that was the, fine. So what was, specifically, what was the bane of your existence? The, the, it felt like I would do this thing. I'd get on stage once a month. Yeah. And at the risk of sounding very American. It would be great and you'd be great at it. I'd be great at it. Yeah. And I wouldn't know what to do with... Like I was working as a writer and I was good enough to do it, but with this sense that I wasn't fucking great. Like, and why are we doing any of this stuff? It's so hard. It's so competitive. Why are you going to do it? If there's not something in you going, but I can get great. Maybe I'm not right now, but like, I think if I, this, if I, this, if I, this, I think I'm going to, uh, yeah, there's a trajectory. There's in some mind. trajectory yeah. in all of our heads. Some of us are delusional. Some aren't fine. And I just knew that I wasn't great at this other thing, writing, but I was like, I think the stage thing is my thing, but I don't, I don't, I don't understand. By this time I'm in my thirties. Like I, what am I going to do? Fucking go to some open, like I can't, I can't, you know, I'd been in New York forever and all this sort of stuff. And then, um, can can I ask what, what was working about your stage time with the moth? What was it that was great about it? I think... What, um, what, what was it that was great about you doing it? I mean, Well, so for, interestingly, I was thinking about this today. Like, I, I was inconsistent. Like, I wasn't always... Because now I understand that, like, it wasn't stand-up. And, of course, with stand-up, we work, 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 get it perfect, and then it can sing. Which, with The Moth, I was just sort of trying different stories out all the time, and there was this loose and sometimes... It's, it's a more forgiving... Yeah, and it's also... Like, what I always say is that... I mean, first of all, American audiences general in general, a different thing. I think that if you're like a UK stand-up and then you go to, you visit the US, you do whatever you want. It's like you have been training for a marathon in the sand. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then you get to, and that is a compliment to a British audience. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I just thought that I seemed authentic <laughs> and comfortable. 
Okay. Were, were, were other people around you inauthentic or less comfortable? I, I think... I think there was a self... The word self-serious is overkill. But there was like a... There was a... Like, I think I was the one or one of the ones, there were a few, who sort of did the job and really was meant to be a comedian. Sure, 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 Right, sure. and I think that can lend itself better. To, so they had people in, a friend of mine who was at, at the time a proper stand-up. She was brilliant. There was someone else who was a serious writer, New York Times bestseller, incredible mm. writer. The writer for me wasn't as adept at hosting she brought a different more literary vibe of course the moth is a really literary thing so that fit but i just think someone's up there who has funny bones yeah and when you're hosting like i'm quite high energy and i just think so much of what people want over the course of the moth it was 10 different people you just want someone who's just gonna bring it back bring it up manage it you know, be present in the room. Be present be, in the have room. Have an elastic relationship. When there's with the a audience. really sad story, yeah. know what to do to reset. Yeah, whilst being respectful of the sad whilst story, being, you know, to and change I was the like, gear. Oh, yeah, I think okay. I'm good at that. I think yeah. I'm okay at all that. And I and it felt like I was especially good at it, and I didn't know what to do with this thing that it seemed like I had a real knack for, and that I then really enjoyed doing and what was your voice as a storyteller filthy like okay. just high energy and re and i mean I, I hate i sort of accepted and hated about myself it's just so like i go to like dick and vagina so quickly my my in such a limited sort of idiotic way so that you know i like how would just have all these dirty stories and i try and make them work and i'd you know, I think I could tell a story about like, like one of my, my, my brother found my grandmother's vibrator. Like that's a thing that happened like at this point, 15 years ago. And I believe, I hope that like, I told that in a warm and funny and comfortable way. But what I'm not good at is like this funny thing happened on the bus. Sure. <laughs> the way you get your token on the bus. Like I can't, and I really wish I could it's sort of limited in that way. I mean, I think I still am. Because you you need something well, well because you need something to have happened like an event rather than an observation is that yes I think I've I think stand up has helped me get a lot better with sure that. but yeah I knew the observations in your current stand up show are fantastic oh well Those thank are, yeah thank you I think here's the thing I think I can observe okay yeah the the building up into a bit okay because there aren't that many bits in that show I mean. There's there are, a, there are. It's, a, it's friends, family, and... Yes, yes, yes. But in terms of going like, oh, here's a, here's this thing, and now we'll expand it out, and here's a topper here, and now an act out here, and then we compare, you know, all those sort of real tropes of very traditional bits. If you knew how much I had to be talked, like how much someone would have to break that down to make sure I okay. understood it. I mean, it makes me feel like such a fucking imposter. That kind of stuff, I'm re I really struggle. 
I'm only laughing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm overly smiling at you in in sort of uh, affable derision because oh, you're so good at all of that stuff. And I was just thinking, God, comedians are hilarious. That, oh, do you know no. what I mean? That that kind of um, uh, sense that I don't really know what this is whilst doing the thing that you're talking about. Well, you know, just you know. I think and and uh, yeah. I I just I think it's I I feel. You saw a great show. Okay. You were in it a great show. And as we all know, like, that's very relevant and it's not relevant. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah right? very so well put. Yeah. so many moments in that show that can get in the wrong audience. <sighs> Nothing for ages. But you were in with a great audience. So all these little things of mine... We're going off like bombs, and it's great. Do you mean little things, material or per- persona? Both, like, okay. like so. I, I you know, I talk, I, I talk about having a lot of charisma, which in the right audience, I like. It's clearly intended as sort of. I mean, like, I mean it, but it's a joke <laughs> as well. Sure. And in that audience, people are like, oh, "That's fu- that's a funny way she said that, or yeah. whatever." But in the wrong room, it's like. How is it funny that someone is just standing on stage complimenting themselves? Totally, it's like say it's such a gamble as well, isn't it? Because yep. to say to say in a room to do material, the platform, the base of which is, hey, w- we're connecting incredibly well because I'm so good at this. <laughs> like right. if you're doing anything less right. than connecting like, incredibly you well, are clocking my high energy and warmth. Like how, <laughs> how can we not? So, but yeah, that sort of um, joke, sort of kind of joke stuff is. So challenging to me. Just as a as a little uh, tangent, you said someone had to break down for you the structure. Oh yeah. What do you in like? Can you give us like the 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 quick sketch of what that structure is to do a proper bit? And what do you understand it as like the rules for? Oh, I w- like now I'm like cracking under the pressure of thinking of a good example, like like. Can I give an example of like a friend? Sure. So, so just because I sort of saw her work it up, and I haven't seen her show, but I think it's she's it's in her show. So Susie Ruffle, yeah, does this bit, which I think is in her show right now. I don't know if it okay. is, but um, it's about as a lesbian going to see like getting a, a pap smear, and so she builds it up in this way, and then part of the really see now I'm, I don't want to tell another comics joke. What if I'm blowing her punchline? Sure. Can you talk about the structure without giving away she, the she words? She introduces yes. She sort of introduces this experience that has happened to her. Um, you know it's real, which is yeah. my. I mean, it's all I need in comedy. Okay. Just let me feel like this is real, not live. Like you know that shit you watch, and you're like, that didn't you didn't say that to that person in that yeah, context? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, I'm already checked out. I'm not going to laugh at the rest mm-hmm. of this. But so you're already going right. This is real. This has happened, and she gets this exam, and as a gay woman, is then told certain things about herself, and it's very funny. And then she goes into comparing this vaginal exam to another very different situation okay and it's fucking it's like you know as if this yes gotcha and okay. it's hilarious and then there's a topper here and this person said you know and the and she does an act out and it's fucking killer i love when you see someone set up a thing perfectly 
and then begin an act out. And you, I always think it's such a have your cake and eat it moment, isn't it? Yeah. Because as a comic, I'm not, and I don't even know what audiences think anymore, but as a comic, I'm just looking at it going, you're going to embody all of the things you just said and you're going to get an extra laugh for each one that's more than double the original point. Yeah. It's wonderful. And, and all, exactly, sort of exactly what you just said were all those things. And that kind of, that exact comedic moment is one that feels like it still sort of eludes me. And I think there are plenty of other ways I can go about getting laughs and, you know, and I'm very physical, but, but that exact thing is not where my brain goes to naturally. When in the, the uh, pathway from the moth to stand up, did you write the books that you've written? Oh, so before, like, so I, I went to a moth show, like, so I'm doing stand-up. It's 2002. I do it for six months. I hate it. A friend of mine is like, there's this thing called The Moth, which is more long-form story. You might be into that. That's like in 2003. So I start sort of going to that and telling stories there, and I'm better at that. And through all that, wound up getting a book agent. So sort of through, like my books were published in 2009 and 2014. Uh... So that was sort of me writing. And was that writing the result of stories that you'd worked up on stage? Some of it, yeah. Okay. Which is, I mean, in my first book, yes. In my second book, not so much, which is why the first book was better than me. Like, it was classic sophomore slump in some ways. In some ways, it was better. But, you know, so that was all, that was, you know, I was sort of doing those things and then hosting this moth thing once a month. And then my husband, who is British came to, we met through a moth show. Like he had a colleague, they were in New York working and he had a colleague who was, listened to the moth podcast. I was like, oh, a fun thing to do would be to go to this thing. They work in radio. They were down a guest. They were like, get that lady on. That's how I met my husband. And he was like, you're a stand-up. And I was like, oh, don't even. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And I just, I just don't, you know, I just think that ship has sailed and that's fine because it was just a source of such profound anxiety for me for like the six months I did it. So that sort of began this kind con- that was like our first date. Okay. Was him being like, this is this in the UK. People are like that. And it's, I don't think it's as regimented in what it is, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So like this seed got planted while I was working on my second book. And I sort of started thinking, I just don't, I don't think this is the life for me, this writing. I, I can't, the first, like writing a book for the first time was really exciting. Oh my God, I'm writing a book. I'm going to have a book. My name is going to be a, and that was something. And then working on the second one, I was like, you, it's like being in a, in a, a marriage that, you know, needs to end, <laughs> the, you know, the sense of like, I'm in this thing, but some, and, and it's good. It's fine. But something is telling me there could be another thing for me. Okay. Okay. Like, I think that's, it was, that was exactly that feeling. And, you know, my, and and so my husband had planted this seed and I started thinking like, when this is done, I think I need, I'll be, you know, there was now like a plan to move to London. I was going to be in this whole new city. It felt like I could be a new person, reinvent, right? Like all that shit is relevant. Yeah. And if it's your husband that planted the seed of stand up, he can't then, or it's harder for him to blame you when you have to be away all the time and. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's, he has, he's comedy widowed himself. Yeah, whole separate. <laughs> I mean, and there's no one who's like more poorly positioned to be a comedy widow. I mean, it's like so 
Like, he would say, like, I just want one of us curled up at the other one's feet forever. Like, he is so codependent, you know, so, so there's that in a nice way and an exhausting way. But, um, so that sort of got the seed planted okay. and it became like, okay, when this book is done, that will be, like, I will force myself to try this thing. Just before we move on from the books, it's interesting to me that you would say, and I realise you could have then qualified it, but that you would say the first one was great, the second one wasn't as good, or there was a sense of it being a marriage that has... Oh, yeah, and first of all, neither of them were great. That's just true. Like, they were... There was some stuff about, like, it's that that thing, like... Do you you write? No, not really. No. I mean, no. No. <laughs> that's, we that's all sounded... do everything, Stuart. <laughs> no, I mean, I write. You know, I spend a, I, I spend course, a huge proportion of the last ten years or fifteen years of writing. Course, writing. But do I write properly for things that can well, bear scrutiny? No. Please, I think that you know, stand up is a very high form of writing. But yes, I meant prosy, booky, sure, booky stuff. You know, it's like sometimes I'll like pick one up and look at it, and I'll be like, "Excuse me, but that was a beautiful sentence." Excuse me, that is very dense. I, I think I think I could, um, but as books, you know, it's the it's your it's a twenty minute club set versus an hour, right? Yep. It's like people can do different things, and there are people who are brilliant for fifteen minutes, but fuck me, I don't need to see an hour. Mm-hmm. That's not for me for an hour. And I just I think I could have been, and maybe I will again. Like, I think I can do an essay. I think you want me to give you 800 words. I think it can be pretty funny and solid in 800 words. I didn't need to do 80,000. I didn't. Uh, I, it was a boring okay. book to read. I think it was funny. Like, I think I could be funny, but I just wasn't born for it. You know? Were you, oh, because you were, you had not yet developed your stand-up persona at the time you were writing. So I guess you had a writing persona yeah. Did you feel like a version of you? I don't talk to many long form yeah, writers. Yeah, but I think that I think that that was what was wrong with my writing is that it was too narrow. Like my favorite stand up, you know, is usually sort of like you meet the person and it's very like we're all turned up a little bit who isn't, but it's just very close to who you see on stage. Yeah. And for me the stuff where you're always like does something click in? Something not clicking. It's because like whatever it is that's meaty yeah. on them as a person isn't somehow isn't making its way up there. Okay. Or there's just nothing meaty to them as a person, so how are you gonna be into the stand up? You know? Sure. Um and I, I just wasn't fully my I don't know, I I'm like I don't know, you know, it's so funny, I haven't looked at those books or really been in that headspace for a long time, but I I just think they were exhausting books to read. <laughs> you know, like, I think that they weren't, I just wasn't proud of them. Okay. Like, if you were like, sir, it was so fun chatting with you. Like, I'll definitely read your book. And you meant it. I'd be yeah. like, can we leave it with you seeing me have a good show the other night? Like, can we leave that there? I think that is something that, like, that to me seems, I love hearing people review their own work. I love hearing people be critical of their yeah. own work. You know, in a, in a wide, critical, in a, in a rig- rigorous kind of way. Um, it strikes me as that's something I, like, that, is, that is quintessentially you, to be able to be swinging about your your own work that is currently still on sale on Amazon. Oh, I looked yeah. at it, I read a sample from one of them. It made me laugh. I thought it was funny. It was very funny. 
Um, the stuff about your three imaginary friends in the toilet. Oh, yeah, that Polish. is kind of, I mean, that yeah. is funny. It's funny, it is funny. Um, but it seems to me something that's very you. Like, I don't feel I could ever, with a thing available online to buy still as a going concern, I don't think I would sit in a sort of a, effectively a public forum and go, oh, Christ, you shouldn't buy that, it's dreadful. <laughs> I know, but you know I mean? But, but think... that kind of, it's quite relentless, that honesty of yours, which I think is a part yeah, of Yeah, I think that's kind of my deal. And I think that... Like, I'm now just, like, praying that my agent will not hear this. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's funny because I, um, I do not know. Like, I think that the way that self-promotion works, right, is for me or the people that I want to talk to is, like, that you strike someone as funny. So like someone listens to this and is like, I was very into the vibe. I'll see that show. It's not going to be because, and, and I, I'm not, th- I'm not saying I'm right about this. I don't think I am. I'm just telling you what is knocking around in my head. It's for me, it, it doesn't make sense because I would never listen to someone go, yeah, the show, I worked so hard. I'm really proud of it. Um, I pour myself, I thought, I think it's the most me thing I've ever done. And I, and, and then I would go and maybe that show's great. I've heard people talk that way and then been impressed by the work. More often than not, I think people don't know what the fuck they're talking about when they talk that way about themselves. So if I hear someone go, I don't fucking know, Stuart. I'm, you know, I, <laughs> I this, I didn't this, I think this, but this, I go, that bitch has a realistic assessment of shit. That's what I'm into. I'll go see that. And that sort of like, you said relentlessly critical, right? But to me, it feels like just an honest appraisal of things. That's what would appeal. I like, I'm not doing, it's not like, it's not a choice. Sure, sure, You know what I mean? It's not like my strategy, but I just, I find, and it's sort of why when like people talk about Americans being this way and this way, and I know it's true, you know what I mean? But it's, I is, so anathema to me to sing my own praises in a certain way that when anyone does it, I I don't understand. And the world is changing and people do. And there's a real sense of like, listen, we are, we are professionals. We have to do this. And I think that's really smart. I don't disagree with that, but I really struggle to do it in a way that feels authentic to me. And the people who are good at it are doing it in a way that's authentic to them and funny still and self-aware. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And I don't know how to do it. I think you've hit on a fundamental there about, of course, people listening to this. The people listening to this who are going to enjoy your show and who are going to become your standard bearer fans, people to whom you are uh, new, are going to hear you talking like this and go, I get her vibe, I want to hear more of that. And of course, that's exactly right. And yet we are all in this kind of... We're all part of the um, uh, the kind of the, the squeezed out toothpaste of having to monetize, having to amplify and boost and promote the thing. So do you have like a running battle with your PR where they're going, can you please tell people that you're good? Or your agent? Or, you know, you said, oh, my agent, I hope my agent doesn't well, hear this. No, I mean, I think this, like, so in fairness, I haven't, like I was with a friend the other night, it was like, oh, I'm, you know, I've been 
chastised. Let me, this is embarrassing. Will you take a photo? I need to Instagram. I've been chastised for not doing it enough. I have not, I did, I put an Instagram post up the night my show ran and I am not been on Instagram. I, I check my phone. This is not going to work in audio, but I hold my hand over my phone. Yeah. So I don't have to see anything going on on Instagram. So I can see just at the bottom if I have notifications or just at the top if I have a message. Yeah. Because I don't. Because you use it as an inbox. Like, that's I mean, exactly I, how I use that's it. That's sort of how I try to use it. And it's like, and I think, you know, what I really think is, and this is me inching towards saying nice things about myself in a gross fucking way, is that some of the, the people whose work I admire the most I mean, the stand-ups where I'm going, that is fucking stand-up. That is not relying on mm-hmm. A, B, that is just someone who's fucking born for this and they are brilliant. And they are never on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be that good. I'm going to be so good that I don't have to be like, sold out born today, guys. <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> Judgment. <laughs> Let go. Sorry, you are doing so, 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 No, no, no. The thing is, is that I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly not now, and maybe I'm not, and maybe I fuck myself, and maybe the people who are there, they shit themselves a little bit. They're like a little. They don't want this. They don't want that. But they go. You know what? Fuck it. I am working really hard. I want this. Um, I don't already like, you know, I, I think I, I truly feel that that judgment on my part is not fair because people's positions are different and they can do it better or they, whatever. But, and I, I don't, I, it's a real struggle for me, like to figure out how to promote myself in a way that feels right. And I think that to just be like, ugh, like retweeting praise is stupid isn't right. I, I don't think that's, I don't think thinking about it that way is quite, I've, had, I've heard too many smart people explain to me why it's an okay thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I think my agent, like there was like some article that ran and she referenced something about self-deprecation and it was so minimal by my standard that I didn't even clock that I'd done it. And it was like, come on, like you, <laughs> you're working really hard and there's been this and this and this and this and this and this. And I just think like, you know, and she was absolutely right. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a way that works for me, but I'm not making any headway. So this is Sarah. We talked a little bit about the moth there and her background. I think she's someone who I could see myself going to in the future for a bit of help with story structure. We don't really talk about that much in stand-up comedy. Either you have a director or not, and exactly what the director does to or for your show is often a sort of how long's a piece of string question. But we, ne- we don't really talk about script editors. You sort of see them on TV shows or, you know, mysterious program associates, kind of quasi-credited writers. But in terms of creating stand-up comedy hours, a script editor or a, a sort of a story structurer or a dramaturg or something like that isn't something that you hear talked about. And I think Sarah, both from her work and from her background, clearly understands how a show smashes along and gathers pace. And um, she's someone who I will always look forward to seeing her hours because I know that the content will be good, the performance will be fantastic, and the structure will just make it seem easy. And that's what we all want at a festival when you've seen eight shows a day. You want to go and see someone where you breathe 
breathe a sigh of relief in the first two minutes because you go, ah, this person. <laughs> I'm reminded, what's that, what's that line from um, uh, South Park about Michael Bay? Say what you like about Michael Bay, the son of a bitch knows story structure. So more from Sarah in just a second. A quick shout out with some tour dates now. Uh, I am in October. We embark on the second leg of the tour. Two little uh, explanatory things. The first leg of the tour was when we just had our new baby, Future Girl, had just turned up. So I made sure that the first leg was all places much nearer my home, which means now on this second leg, I get the joys of... Uh, not entirely sequential, but almost pinging from Aberdeen to Swindon. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of places coming up on the. Let's, there's going to be a lot of places coming up on the tour. Who says that? I've just caught myself being terrifically, well, if not ungenuine, it's because I was filling whilst I turned my phone round so that I could see the thing. There's going to be a lot of places coming up on the tour. Who's this fucking idiot? So, happy to report, the last time I read all these uh, tour dates out, I got confused and was apparently going to Glasgow twice and didn't know the dates. These are all official tour dates. Uh, in October, I'm uh, on the 5th of October, I'm at the stand in Edinburgh. That's an early show, starts at 5pm, just the hour. Uh, on the 6th of October, I'm at the Aberdeen Comedy Festival, which I've never been to before. That's very exciting. The 11th, I'm at the Northampton Royal and Derngate. Lovely room. 25th of October, I'm in Tynmouth Pavilions for the very first time. The 26th of October, I'm at the Swindon Arts Centre. And then looking ahead, in November, I'm at Nottingham and Birmingham Glee Clubs. I'm going to be at the Comedy Box in Bristol on the 8th of November. Let's fill that one up, please. Uh, and then in December, all I'm doing in December, tour-wise, is the Westie in Aldershot, which is one of my very favourite rooms. And then in January, I shall be in Corsham at the Pound Arts Centre and then the last four dates on the tour are Newcastle Stand, that's another early show at 5 on the 1st of February, 2nd of February Glasgow Stand, 7th of February Farnham Maltings and we conclude the tour on the 28th of February in the big room at Cambridge Junction which I'm very much looking forward to as well all of those and I think we're trying to smuggle in York and Leeds in there as well so watch this space or go to comedianscomedian.com slash tour in order to connect with any of those, there's a little page of links all of which have now been rigorously tested rigorously that's how rigorous the uh, <laughs> that's how rigorous the procedure has been the word rigorously has snuck in more from sarah baron now and uh, no extras from this stuff uh, we had prior commitments both of us no i'm lying actually she had prior commitments i was just kind of lying around the flat um so we only managed to do this little hour and 10 or whatever the edit produces um no extra content but all of your extra content from any episode that has any including some really fascinating stuff from the last two shows with uh, heath mciver and uh, the puppeteer and creator and performer of randy the puppet aka randy Feltface, aka one of the best stand-up comedians even despite the fact he's a puppet um, so Heath McIver extras and Rob Orton extras lovely lovely wonderful Rob Orton um, those are all available for insiders only at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders where you can also join up for a regular monthly subscription which will give you access to all the extra stuff on a private podcast which has also recently seen a little uh, pilot of a thing I'm considering doing so thank you very much to everyone oh no I didn't put it on the private pod maybe I'll, I'm going to do a second draft of it and put it on the private pod because actually what I did was use the the sort of workspace app that the insiders all use to gossip with me and each other. Um, we, it's like kind of ultra Facebook and even more relentlessly nice. Um, but uh, I put a link to the, this little pilot of a new project of mine uh, in the workspace app. So if you're an insider and you've not checked that recently, you can find that there. Or I will. I'm going to come up with a second draft of that pilot this week and I will put that on the, the private pod. So all of that extra sexy uh, secret content at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Let's get back now to Sarah Barron. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I came away at the way I described you to my wife, because I've been I am unofficially scouting for shows to send my wife to as well. Oh my God, yes, yeah, great, you, okay. she'd absolutely love you. Great. And one of the ways I described you was, oh, you're going to love her. She's acerbic, but really accessible. And she talks like Jonathan Van Ness, right? I- <laughs> oh, my God, wait. That is so weird. On stage two nights ago, I was like, I, I, I said out loud, I am just talking like Jonathan Van Ness. <laughs> I'm so glad because it's the, I don't mean to, I, that's certainly not critical, but also no, well, our I, voices are very important to us. And I don't want to suggest that you're in borrowed clothes at all. No. But you have... There are rhythms which are, they don't belong to him necessarily, but they are... I know, it's getting worse, I think. In, like the, in the days since you've seen it, because I've been binging on Queer Eye, I think it's getting more extreme. I have to tone it down a little bit with that, I think. But the, the sorts of, for oh people who God, don't know who Jonathan Van Ness is, yeah. he's uh, one of the presenters of the show Queer Eye. Uh, and he has a wonderful way with language. He really does. I, I, have, I, I feel like everyone I've spoken to has the same appreciation of JVN, which is that when they started watching Queer Eye, they were like, that guy is too much. And now they barely even notice the other four because it's yeah. all about him. He is, it's so, I was saying this to my husband who doesn't watch Queer Eye and I want, because like, who is, he actually is very much the kind of guy who would. Sure. But what he can't, he doesn't like the repetition of a makeover show. Anyway, it's, he's the most watchable TV presence I have seen. Him and Tan, I could watch all, just, it could just be Tan looking at people in clothes and being like, okay, we're going to do this. And Jonathan Van Ness, he's like, we can do this moment, we can do this moment, we're having this moment right now. I was like, and you know what's interesting is that I saw, when I was binging on RuPaul, I mean, people were like, you're binging. I think there was, I think I was moving like I was walking down a runway on stage. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I'm very easily influenced by certain camp aesthetics. My, my equivalent of this, having also binged on RuPaul's Drag Race, was uh, my infant son uh, doing, not swimming unaided, because he can't do that yet, but he, he achieved something particularly, I think he was holding these two little floats, kicking and managing to blow bubbles in the water <gasps> as he went for the first time oh. during a toddler swimming class. Yes. And I said, yes, queen. Yes, queen. And, <laughs> and then like, I, I was like, oh, oh, oh looks around. <laughs> we're like, we all know what he's been doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So that... But that, like, where does his voice come from, and where is it that where are you, where is it that the two voices? Meet? I have no idea. It's it's not it's not a thing. I hadn't even remembered. That was just so uh, that I have no aware anything that our JVN thing, non-existent. 
it was just, I was on stage on Saturday. There's a bit where I talked to the audience and I said, I was like, I mean, I am fully sounding like Jonathan Van Ness, but this doesn't even matter. We're going on to the next part right now. I'm watching too much queer. I have to stop. And I hadn't thought, I had no memory that that happened. Sure, sure, sure. Until just now when you told me that that's well, what you it, said about But it's me. also, like, oh. it's, the, it's the lexicon. And I wonder whether it's a New York thing. I don't know where he's from, but... Um... No, we're both from Illinois, actually. Ah, oh, that's interesting. But I, I think but that's... It's, a... it's, it's little trills like um, referring to your vagina as your vagine... Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what I mean? Those kind of like, that yeah. kind of, it's, it's there for everyone. It's, it's not there for straight I mean, men, particularly, but it's is, there for men and gay women. Again, okay. I think those are like little, you know what I was saying to you? Like if I have a tight crowd in, there's like, like I use the word vagine is a flourish because I don't have another joke there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's some filler. Well, it's, I think it's, here's the thing. I think when I was working as a writer, I would feel about, and I used to like, you know, write in the day, teach at night. Like I would do like adult continuing ed writing classes, teach them. And like one of my rules was that if you're putting, if you're writing like a comic essay, which was sort of what people were working on, every sentence needs to move story. You're either moving your story forward, you're, you're establishing character, or it can just be a laugh. If it's not doing any of those three things, it's gone. Okay. And then you like apply that even to the, just the word, does the word serve that? And Vagine, serve, like, like I'm establishing character. 100%. Right? But a note I was given was like, I used the word cunt a few times in my show. It's like there's a whole bit. So, so like some of the notes have been like cunt. Oh, we were talking about We this. were we talking were about each it. Other. Gosh, right. We, cunt quota and Vagine quota. Yeah. Vagine is obviously less of a bomb but it's you know a uh, law of diminishing returns and i don't even know how many times i say vagine in my show but it's <laughs> more than a one time and like a few months ago a few people were like you gotta less is more sure for your vagine less is more what uh, what uh conclusions have you come to thus far on the cunt quota because you have a whole section in the show oh, it's, yeah, like, where I use the it's word- like friends family mm-hmm. am i a hero or a cunt and that's the, those are the three kind of yeah. So the way I think of it is husband, fam, uh, husband, friends, family, celebrity, me. Gotcha. That's the that's sort of how it goes in my head. Is, is that how it goes in your head? Because that's become your set list, or is that was that the structure of what you set out to write? Oh, because that's because oh, it's certainly not what I set out to write. I mean, I I, I set out to write this show that was about um, whether we are fundamental, like, are we good? So a working title for me at one point was The Coconut, because there's this idea, but it's not popular enough of an idea, and I thought it was a shitty title, um, which, which is like if there are two people on a desert island, stranded on a desert island and there's one coconut, what is the fundamentally most natural behavior to share the coconut or try to kill the other person for your own survival. Sure. And my husband is like, people share a coconut. I think it's what people do. And I'm like, people would kill each other for the coconut. Like, I think we're terrible. Like, I think we're so, like, really quite selfish. And I think that there's beauty and decency. But that it can take so much to get to the beauty or decency. Or that a certain selfishness underpins a lot of charitable acts. All this kind of stuff, right? Okay. 
So that was sort of the idea. It's like, are we good or bad, you know? And I think there's a, there, there are echoes of that in the show, but that's not quite, you know, as ever. I mean, you've written more shows than I have, I presume, you know, but sort of like having gone through two, it seems to me in October, you're like, oh, here's an idea. And then yeah. by the following August, you're like, You've got to go vague title. Yeah. You've got to go vague <laughs> yeah, title. Yeah, you don't want to be trying title. to prove a thing the, that you yeah, set yeah, out yeah. to prove that you've written your, your way six months away from. Exactly. So it, it was it was just sort of writing, you know, essentially kind of writing to a theme a little bit, seeing what was coming up in the club stuff that I was doing. And then um, there was this one part of the show, which I talk about, my, I do this bit about my grandmother and my dad. And that, like, I still don't love how it's sitting, but... You take your exam on the 31st of July and you just got to sell with it. Because it was basically doing the same. I have like a big set piece ending story, right? And it does a job and lands me where I need to land for the yes. end of the show. Yes. And there was this honest. And, it, and it's totally captivating, incredibly honest and scandalous. Yes. And totally you. Yes. I mean, all those <laughs> things are right. So I had another story that wasn't scandalous. It wasn't as big but it was the same, the, the device it was going to do in the show was identical. And there were, all, and I was like, and it was, and I thought it was really fucking good. I was yeah. like, this is fun. This is beautiful. And it just didn't work because essentially it was telling the same joke twice. So I have done so much work to take this perfect story and Futs it around so the point of it is different and move it earlier in the show. Which story is it? It's the stuff about my dad and my grandmother moving into this bit about race. Okay, okay. Which I do. And it's not like, you know, and I've taken some fat out since you've seen it. Okay. But it's still, the point of that story is that I am judging my family. But fuck me, I had a better point. Yeah. I, I, I had a better point. Two this ago, this is some rigorous editing going on here. This is, oh. and that is, I think that's because I'm interested in the relationship between someone who has written monologues, comic essays, and enough of them to fill two books, and how that person approaches stand-up. Now, you haven't approached it in a dry and academic way. You've approached it because you are, to your bones, a stand-up. But maybe one of the things you've taken with you from that experience, that that, that level of experience, is the ability to edit such as you've just described. Oh, yeah. And I think actually, here's a nice thing about myself. I think that I'm really, like this thing that I learned last year working on an hour for the first time, and I had a director, and she was Jess Foscue, fucking brilliant. Great. Um, I think the best, I mean, I I don't know if she's directing much. The point is, I think she's the best of the best. I didn't work with a director this year, largely because I wasn't doing, I I was spending more money on the fringe generally. But I was like, oh, like a lot of Jess, Jess is really good with jokes. So she did wind up helping me a lot with what I think is my weak spot. But I was like, structure is my strength. I got structure. I can see the, I can, I'm not like great with a callback, but I can figure out a link and this is this and this. Anyone could do a callback. I mean, the big callback in my show, honestly, was a, 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 a comic open mic night. And open a new material night sure. and me like working this story out. And then at the end of it being like, I don't know what the end is, but this is the point, right? It's this. And she was like, call back. It's, and I was like, 
Oh my God. <laughs> so I, I really, like when I talk about imposter syndrome and all that, mm-hmm. it's, it's really you saying anyone can do a callback and me being like, no, 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 no. But, what I, them, what I, but a lot of them. What I, I mean really is a callback is one of the most simple stylistic and structural tricks. And what I'm interested in is the structural skills that you have outside yeah, of the, ru- the root. It's root one structure. Yeah, is a callback. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not you have the, uh, an innate ability to spot one, put it in the right place. Of course, there are better. There are what right. Liam Williams calls arbitrary callbacks, which right. I love. I'm fucking, this festival is awash with them. And there are brilliant and meaningful ones. I don't mean to denigrate those skills, no. but tell me about the structural skills that you... I just think I know how to shape something. I think I'm good with momentum. I think I'm good. You know, people are always like, don't overthink your links, don't overthink your links. And I agree with them. But I think that, you know, what I aspire to do in a show is avoid a 40-minute 40 40 slump. Like, that's this thing that people talk about all the time. And I'm like... Think I don't. Yeah, we're all trying to think of fun things to do at the forty-minute moment, rather than eradicate the problem. Yeah, and I think it's. I think that. And again, this is not me saying that. Um, that I think that I have succeeded in this, but I think that like that the right show doesn't have to have that, and it's not because a funny gimmick comes in at forty minutes. It's because were moving and it's because we didn't know that we like my proudest moment of my last show and it wasn't a lot it was it was a link was I was on I was doing my motherhood section so I was on motherhood and I knew that the next place I needed like as I was putting the show together I want I had a story about being fucked by two guys in the same day right two dicks in a day hashtag like the best right and so the joke was like motherhood I've seen my son has toddled but he's walked toward me for the first time and said mommy for the first time (laughs) two dicks in a day better this is the bit right okay so that's where I need to get yeah how the fuck am I going from motherhood to like my promiscuous 20s yeah and I fucking found a way Stuart I don't I can't remember right now what it was but it was just a sentence that got me from A to Z. And sometimes when, you know, fellow comedians or whatever would come in, they'd be like, the way you got. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, right? Yes. Because yes. that was months of finding the perfect thing. Yep. And I didn't basically, and I, you know, I, I, I hope that my show this year is as, you know, is good and all that, whatever. But like with this particular story that I had to move from the end to the middle I didn't, you know, it was second hour, you don't have as much time. And I never, I've not quite nailed that thing. And it's fine. If I'm having a hot show, no one notices. Okay. But on a Saturday night, it was a little more, I could feel the audience being like, we've been on board. Is there another laugh coming? <laughs> Is that, a, you know, that sort of stuff. And I've, I've, I've taken some stuff out and I'm, I'm working, working it. Get it solid by the 7th. That's what I'm telling myself. Your photos, your image... Yeah. ...is really austere and really stern and, to me, doesn't capture the warmth oh. that you have on stage. I've just... I've said it. 
I've said really? it the last two years. I've seen your photos, and they seem kind of clinical. They seem so high status and almost brittle. Oh. And then I thought, well, I, everyone tells me she's great. Not that I wouldn't see them because of you, no, but, but maybe I give, given a choice of things, I went. She looks a bit cold. <gasps> and then I saw you, and I was like, this isn't the woman. For when you walked out, oh. I was like. This isn't her. This is the, you were like, this is such a warm lady. I'm yeah. so warm. Yeah. I mean, this is all I'm going to talk to my husband about when I leave. That's fascinating. No one has ever said that to me. And I know you're completely right. Well, I don't know if I am. I no, don't you're completely it. right. Okay. It's like you know when you know things. And my whole show is about how I think my judgment is like better than anybody else's on the planet. You're, you're completely right. The photos are of an element of your persona. But that element is, whilst it's a huge core of your persona, that critical, Here's what I'm taking from this. Thing. Is that what I think I... Which was what you said. You said to your wife about me. Which I was like, he really sees me. <laughs> you know, what I want to be is sort of fucking acerbic, like assert she is aggressive, but so warm. Oh, the warmth. And you're right that there's nothing, I'm, like a real, and I've been, certain previews that I had that I would struggle with, a thing that Lou Sanders said to me, we did a bunch of previews together, and she was like, off stage, you're so warm. And there's something in a tight room, which you haven't seen me in a tight room, right? There's, they, they're not seeing the warmth and it's not, it's not a different line. It's, it's a twinkle in your eye. It's a way you're talking to them and you're saying there's no twinkle in the photos. And I know in my bones that you're correct. And I think that the way that that wound up happening was... So so not so not this not last year but this year um there wasn't a consensus on photos like last year it was first of all like last year was so different I didn't have an agent I didn't have P, I didn't have anything so it was just like me left to my own devices and I love looking to camera personal taste so I took this so then it was like once everything was so that sort of was just like a decision that got made this year I think there was this real preoccupation with making me look high status and making me look like a boss lady. Which you absolutely do. Exactly, which I do. An alpha, right? This is not zany. This is... Like, sure, and, it, and it's, that's and valid it because does all that. it does do all that, and that's all important, but, and that's a flavor, it's a strong flavor that we're not seeing anywhere else. So it does that job. But there is, but it has been, I now realize, the cost of that has been my warmth. And what's so interesting from you is that we don't know each other. Like, up until a few days ago, we didn't know each other. Sure. So anyone who knows me, when you're like, wait a second, this is the lady from yeah, the poster? Yeah, 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 sure. Which nobody else. And because listen, they I can, already know you. Because they know that how I yeah. am. So that is an incredibly useful and interesting thing that you said. And, and also, fascinating. you are warm enough that I felt barely knowing you, I could say that. Although I did caveat it with, look, we can take this out if you like. Because I don't, oh. this, it, it, this is an, it's an unusual thing for me to say on this podcast. Yeah. It's like, i got a bit of a problem with the way you do this. It doesn't seem to sit. <laughs> so. But that's actually not quite how it was, how you presented it. And um, it made you look so smart. That was like <laughs> such a smart, that was, I mean, this is such a smart observation. And ultimately what it made me feel was very seen. Great. 
Great. I, I may not keep in the bit where you call me smart, but that's fine. <laughs> oh, man after my own heart. Really, so it, it is. Anyway. You are brilliant at admitting your flaws. You're great at admitting how horrible you are, how little you like your friends, how... And, you're, and for, the, for the benefit of the listener, I may as well be bathing Sarah yeah, in, in, in radiant sunlight. sunlight. It's, it's, it is, I think it's like my great gift. I think genuinely I will say to my husband... You being married to me is a gift. Oh my God. Because you've never, you will never argue with anybody better than I am because I am so reasonable. I get, unpick that for me. Because, because of my flaws, because my ability, and he would say that like I'm good at it 60% of the time. Okay. But my abilities to, in the midst of things, go, Okay, that's fair. Like my ability to, to my ability to not get defensive is world fucking collapse. <laughs> and think how good that is. You're a married man. Think how good that is in the context of a marriage. Someone who's Jesus not defensive. Jesus Christ! Yeah, 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 yeah. I say that because I'm the really defensive one, not because I'm saying, no, going, I mean, my, my, like, my wife. All defensive in a I get like, super it's defensive so when criticized. Are. It's horrible. And I think that, like, anything, like, so many good things in my life are about the fact that I'll go, yeah, okay, that's probably right. Is that innate? Did you learn that? I, this is like one of the great questions because it's, it's, it is what I think of as my most central quality and my greatest strength. And I'm 40. How are you? Do you talk about your age? I'm 42. Okay. I was going to say, I think we're... Show, showbiz uh, playing age 20 to 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. I'm 25. Cool. I'm glad we're on the same age. So I, the, the midlife I, Thank crisis, you so much. That was so American. Do you talk about your age? Well, people... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to steal that, that phrase. And do you, do you, you talk, talk about, about your age? Because yes. people I, in this business I'm are... I'm than you are. <laughs> a lot of, you know... Uh... I had Pete Holmes on the podcast in Montreal, and at one point he made a comment that sort of implied, oh, yeah, I said, I do that. And he said, yeah, you're like a younger version of that, and I'm, I'm older than you, mate. Oh, <laughs> you, never, you never know with people. And there's, oh, like, comedy absolutely. age, like, because, like, all my comedy peers are, like, 26. Oh, God, I keep finding out I'm the oldest person in the room. Yeah, yeah, it's constant. <laughs> so the midlife crisis is real, it is real. I think I've sort of avoided it only because I switched careers at 35 years old. You didn't have a lull because you drove the plot for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're like prices I paid for that, right? But like, but, but that thing of like, so this is my life hasn't really happened to me just because I switched jobs at 35. But anyway, this is all to say, I think that, um, you know, at 40, 42, you know, we've known a lot of people. We've got friends that we've known for a long time. We've watched lives unfold from 20 to 40. And there's so many people that I look at, 40-year-old friends of mine going, whose life is a, you know, not holistically a disaster, not, you know, but that marriage is struggling. That's never going to happen. You're not going to have kids. You're, but you want them. That job is a fucking piece of shit. It, and it is so clearly connected to parts of their personality that they have refused to work on for 20 years. It's like because people are defensive. 
Like we'd be so, there's so much more good stuff that can come in, in, and, and, and I think I'm not defensive and I think I remember like I have these, and you know, I don't like saying nice things about my parents just like I don't like saying nice things about my friends or my husband for that matter. But I have this very clear image. I must've been six and I'd like come home from school and my mom was like putting a snack out for me and, um, someone had hurt, had hurt my feelings or done something at school. Like it's a, you know, school age. And I remember telling my mother about it and her saying, well, what do you think their story would be of it? Like, what do you think their perspective is? And which is cool parenting. I mean, I, I mean, I don't remember what the incident is. Maybe she should have just been on my side. I don't know. But what I remember is thinking in my head, she always does this. Like she always asks me about the other person. And I do think it's sort of um, one of the things I hate the most about Edinburgh, having only like I'm, you know, a few days into my second full run, is it turns me like the rest of us into such a fucking narcissist. I'm really bad at thinking about other people. You know, in any conversation, I could sit there and think, well, Stuart, this and Stuart, this and Stuart, this. So for me, I would make sure to this take. I want to take care of Stuart in this way, in this way, in this way. Yeah, I'm really sensitive to other, you know, and. I'm not when I'm up here because I'm so in my own fucking head about this and this show went this and and it robs me of this thing that I think I give to people, which is like a real sensitivity and, you know, which to me is like somehow in the same thing as not being defensive, like opening up, it's so American, I know, but like opening, what's your perspective? Okay, let me hear about criticism I will take that. I will greet that. You're probably right. You know, like. That's, that seems very mature. Do you read reviews? Do you read your reviews? No. And in fact, like we're on a time um, constraint now. So I like there's all, and I know it's not the nature of this beast, but like there's something about reviews that I'm not handling correctly and I need help and I need advice. Like I'm seeing my producer today because I'm not doing it right. And I, I believe it. Like I'm going to identify that like last year, I was sort of without a team. So I didn't read any reviews, but I was scanning all the time and looking at other people. And it was just so toxic and bad. And this year, um, so I was like, I have this incredible team. You know, I have unbelievably diligent producer, a perfect agent. I don't have to worry about anything. I'll take myself out. I'm not looking at Instagram. I will not, I will not look at anyone's posters. I'm, I'm going into myself. I am reading. I am exercising. I am seeing films. Uh, uh, uh. And I, there was a reviewer in the night you were in, a man. There was some man scribbling. I don't know what these people look like, so I don't know who it was. I'm, I've been asked to not be told anything about reviews, but there was one nice one and they were like, can we tell you about this one? So it's like the whole system is broken down. I don't know how to not know. I checked. I didn't read the review, but I looked to see who wrote it. It was a woman. So some man was scribbling who's reviewing me. And I haven't, so now I'm obsessed with where I got some shitty review. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I don't, and I think reviews are, I think the idea that like reviews are idiotic. It's stupid. These guys don't know. I don't think that's real. I also have read so I, I have seen some shows that were, by my opinion, which I trust, true brilliance, perfect stand-up hours, or perfect innovations, three stars. And I have seen piles of garbage, three stars. So I don't care, but I fucking care. 
and it's making me insane and I could use some advice on how to deal with that it. That is wonderfully honest and comprehensive and I really appreciate that because particularly because when you were talking about not being defensive I was thinking like I am I am so I bang a drum for the fact that I don't read my reviews anymore and that is a step along the way that's an immature step along the way the next thing is to stop banging a drum and just just don't read them I know. but I started when you were saying I'm not defensive I started thinking Maybe I should just, maybe it's more adult. Maybe I'm burying my head in the sand. Maybe it's more adult to uh, to read them no. and care or not. So I'm thrilled that you don't no. read them. So reading this is- reviews is not not defensive. Reading reviews is getting, like this thing, I've, I've never read a review, but I've seen little, you know, like someone sent me something in a comedy, guy. it was like, oh, you got in this thing, which is a positive. But it was it was something about how basic my topics are because I talk being about being in relationships and I'll leave that there because then there's some other <laughs> stuff about like this person started the conversation on this and I was like I don't I didn't know that I had a classic American this yeah I didn't know that my topics were like well it's just talking about relationships and I was like oh do we not? Oh, okay. Like, it's just, and these have been in positive. It's like, there's no, there is nothing good. Nothing good to be gotten from reading your reviews. They're not for us. They're not they're for not us. They're not for us. They have a function of sorts, but they're not for us. But like, they, this is the thing, is that comedy reviews don't exist in the States. Yeah, of course, of course. So you're not, you're not, you haven't built up, the, no, you haven't been like, through years like, worth of wondering like, how to deal with it. big these. American yeah, yeah, yeah. comics talk about reviews yeah. and they're like it's stand up yeah. like like yeah if it works i know if it doesn't i don't and then it's like there's there's you know i i it, it's my least favorite part of british comedy culture the of sort of review stuff because it's like you, we can work out what to see. And it's it's sort of like we can all think, oh, well, this is this kind of thing and this is this kind of thing and this is this kind of thing. But if you can kill in the room, you're successful. Yeah. The best the best thing, this is a way I think about them. There's a, there's a uh, one of the organisations here that reviews shows started printing biographies, little two or three line funny folksy jokesy biographies and a photo of the person who reviewed you. And that was the best thing they ever did for a comic because you could look at the review and go, that's not right. Oh, oh, you're 19 and you were, you, this, you, see, you aspire is, to being an actor thank you for telling at the me moment that. you work in advertising this, because you go, oh, right. Phil Jupiter said on this podcast a few years ago, very memorably, we were talking about tweets and insulting tweets and hate tweets and stuff. And he said, if you could see, there is something about the font. There's something about Ariel Black or whatever it is that legitimizes it. If you could see their handwriting, you wouldn't pay them a moment's oh. notice. Yeah. If you could see the person, if you could have a two-minute conversation in the bar with the reviewer not knowing they were the reviewer, you would immediately stop caring what this fucking idiot thinks about your show. I know. And actually with this, it was, it was, there was, you know, uh, uh, someone, a show that I saw that I thought was um, horrendous. So bad that what I said to my husband afterwards was like, I don't use the word Stupid. Because <laughs> I talk a lot of us are stupid. There's other shit going on for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, And we left there and I was like, stupid. Like that's, it's pure stupidity. And I've known this person a while. I didn't realize quite how stupid they were. Stupid. Four stars. Sure. And, and I said this to a friend who was like, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know who the and the person was like, yeah, that was that made its way around our flat yesterday. Yeah. Um, intern at the. Gotcha. Sure. You know, and it's just it's like you want to sure. not care. And I like if I make a decision about a thing, if I go, then we are doing the psychological work. Last year was the work of you're not going to read it. Fine, got there. This year, Stu, is supposed to be the work of not giving a shit. Yes. And it's not working for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's very difficult. And listen, I want to caveat what I said about this fucking idiot. I don't mean all reviewers are fucking idiots. I'm assuming in that case the position of someone who has had a bad review and is feeling negative about it. I know people yeah. through, through doing this podcast. I have a sort of a weird quasi-producer-ish role. Yeah, weird. I know some reviewers. I know critics. I, like, I know people at every tranche of the industry. And they are human beings just like us. Yeah. And they are trying to be at a comedy festival, which is a thing we love. And they're trying to get paid to be here so they can be here. That is laudable and that's fine. But reviews are simply not for us. They're not for me to read. I haven't read my Chortle review for the last three years and I know that I never will. Right. And, and that is the position that you want to be in because I don't mind other people reading it and finding out what one person's opinion is of the show. Some reviewers are very articulate. Some have axes to grind. Some really like me and always say nice things. That's fine, but it exists in an ecosystem outside of my head and my work. So they're not for me, so I won't read them. How long did it take you to get there? Years. Oh, God, dude. And and now I I, I noticed I'm just starting to notice fringe benefits of this position of mine, which I've adopted for a few years now, which are that sometimes when my... uh, I will write the blurb for the show, I'll pass that to my management, and I'll say, add some quotes to this, and then on the back of my flyer, I'll read a quote I've never read that's very complimentary, and I'll go, oh, that's... Oh, did they think that? Oh, that's nice. Move on. That is the most connection that I have with them and it takes time to develop it but remember how happy American comics are because they don't get reviewed in America why it's a it's a barnacle it's a thing that drags you know it it adds drag to the speed of your your boat yeah I think like it's such a funny thing because I think like that a British comic can have and make a much better career for themselves on average than an American comic. Because On the, average, that's exactly correct. That's exactly correct, right? Because, like, you mentioned Pete Holmes before. I mean, hello, right? Like, sure. we all, we all want to be Pete Holmes. We all want to be, like, Aziz Ansari, Amy Schumer, whatever. But on average, because I have some, you know, a good handful of stand-up friends back in the States. And, like, th- these guys are good. I mean, we're talking guys in their 40s. They've done their Letterman sets. They've done Colbert. They're good. They're working. It's great. And I know they're not make they, they have nowhere near as many Twitter followers as like people here who got to do that panel show and got to do it's just that really creates an income stream and an exposure and all that stuff that is not available to those people in the States. And when they're traveling for gigs, they're flying across, they're getting on a plane, you know, and they're doing all yeah. that. But holy shit. To not have to do this review, and and the competitiveness, you know, I think is a real benefit. Are you happy? Yes, yes, yeah. Like not right now. I'm in Edinburgh. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, but I think that, um, I feel like mostly quite satisfied by this job choice and it's like been this thing it's like 
like, uh, I was single for a long time being like, I'd just be happy if I had a boyfriend. And then I met my husband and it was like, and he does make me happy, but also you're like, Oh, right. There's just like, then you kind of like, remember when it was easy when you were single. And then I wanted a baby so bad and it took us so long. And then we got one and I, I love him more than anything. Right. But you're like, Oh my God, remember when I didn't have a kid? Like, remember when there was freedom in the, you know? And then it was like, I was open micing constantly, like third in my 30, 36, 30, you know, just be like, and I would see these other people doing these things and be like, when you're there, that that's where the cool kids are. And now I feel sort of getting in with the cool kids, getting there. And I'm like, God, remember when there was just no stress? Like, remember when it, this just felt like this pure beauty? So it's like, I've had enough things now that have, you, you just go, it's just the positive. They're, they're just nice and terrible things to every moment. So you just go, here's the great stuff about this right now for a sense of perspective. So I think that I am. What do you want long-term from comedy? What do I want long-term from comedy? So it's sort of like, there's like a financial thing and then there's like a creative thing, right? So I think like, I want to be unfollowable, right? Like I want to be able to be really good in some diverse environments. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I think that if you're like a real innovator of one kind or really alt, you don't have to fucking worry about doing well here. But if you are going to talk about relationships, you got to be able to like do okay in the Midlands. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Like you can't go like, well, fuck them, this, that, and the other. Right? So I want to be like really good. And a, a thing that like, um, a thing I heard said about, or like I saw on a screen grab once, was t- you know talking about someone and saying like they had gone to see their hour. And the screen grab was something like, you know, they were great on this thing, but oh my God, you know, just the hour of stand up, they are exposed. And I want to be like, like sort of the goal is to be like the, like, oh, and if you thought that was good, you got to see her live. You got to see her live do an hour. That's her thing. So that is sort of the goal, I think. Right. And then I'd like to make a lot of money. (laughs) So then I'd like to, you know, be able to tour in places that are big enough that, like, I'm making a lot of money and can, you know, feel financially comfortable and safe and not sad about or scared about money, basically. So that was Sarah. You can catch up with her in all the usual places you'd expect to online, by which I mean Twitter, Instagram, and her own website, simply by putting her name into any search engine. So please feel free to do that. All of my tour stuff is at comedianscomedian.com tour and comedianscomedian.com insiders if you would like to hear extra content from all the episodes that have it. This one does not, but there's plenty of really, really good extra little gossipy, juicy, technical, or otherwise specialist stuff available there thank you so much to sarah for coming on the show i loved talking to her i think she's a fantastic comedian and i'm really excited to see what she does next and as i said just she's um what's the (laughs) i described i gig with liam pickford recently he's god he's funny and i described him as a double threat in that uh, he's very very talented and i also find him very threatening well sarah is uh, not physically intimidating in the same way that i consider liam to be but um she is 
She just is such a complete package as a comedian. Really, really funny, relentlessly honest, brilliantly structured writing and uh, and just such a joy to watch. So please find her stuff wherever you can. And thank you as ever to Jake Crossland for the logs, to uh, Robert Smouten for the music. <laughs> I've just called you Robert there, Rob, apologies. Uh, Rob Smouten for the uh, fabulous ComCom music. Um, to Nathan Wood, who is the editor, uploader and uh, What's the phrase? De facto. He's the de facto producer of this show. Your podcast consultant, as ever, is Peter Dobbing. Big love to Marky J. And uh, I will post Amble at you after the break. Now, I don't know if Nathan left in the, the slightly uh, slagging... I, what, did I, what did I say? I harangued a reviewer, who, uh, an iTunes review, who had uh, complained that the waffly bit at the end is too long. I don't know if Nathan left that in, but on the off chance that he didn't, the show ends now, angry iTunes reviewers. So you can't complain about any of the extra waffle I'm going to do now because you have this opportunity right now to switch off. But it's literally only one person out of millions and millions of downloads, so it doesn't really behoove me to continue wanging on about it. Bye for now. I'll speak to you next week. Some blinders coming up. Uh, I rubbed my hands with glee as I looked at the, the ten episodes that I currently have in the can, every single one of which is a total corker, he said, in a sort of smash hits 1987 way. Bye for now. So, can I come up with a postamble with my head jammed into a box full of memory foam? Well... This weekend, I have had a bit of a... Yeah, I've had a bit of a, a mental health relapse. Oh, have I? No, not an official relapse. I just had... The cloud was overhead. And I just felt really sad. And I'm happy to say, at least, that one of the things I felt whilst being really sad and just feeling... God, I... <laughs> this is one of those things you absolutely shouldn't say to millions of people. I looked in the mirror and I thought, God, I felt old. There's no point ever telling anyone that you feel old because either they're older than you, in which case it's insulting, or they're younger than you, in which case they don't give a shit, uh, or they are considering employing you and have changed their mind on the basis of how old you are. But with, um, with just taking into account what Sarah said at, near the beginning of this episode about when she was talking about her book and saying it's exhausting to write and exhausting to read, I really do love that, the idea that... You just have to be honest about your back catalogue. If you have a, a show or a thing you're not proud of, the instinct is always just to sell, sell, sell. But yeah, I totally agree with her. The sorts of people whose opinions are important to me would appreciate the honesty of me going, for example, that show in 2011, God, it didn't work. I can't offer you your money back. But if you came to see that one, I hope you saw one of the few good ones rather than me clunkily running through an exercise in sort of mental exploration and how not to write a show. So, yes, I looked in the mirror and I've, I, there's, it's been t there's been a lot of sleepless nights recently with the, the Boutros's illness and him sleeping in our room now because he's been poorly and snoring like a chainsaw through a mattress. And um, so more than usually tired, keep forgetting we've got a baby because we're so in the swing of parenthood that we forget... Uh, I forget that, oh no, you, you've still got a, a baby under a year old and that is inherently difficult. My wife is having to take so much of the... Ah, oh, just it's hard, it's hard and I keep getting to escape so I feel guilty about complaining about my lot but I still want to complain about my lot because God, life used to be easier than this. Um, so I just felt really sad. It probably is, is just sleep-related. And I just sort of felt the cloud overhead and that horrible feeling like cold water being poured down your back that just makes you think, 
well, not without any of the sort of exciting vibrancy ALS challenge, bucket challenge. Obviously, cold water being poured down your back would sort of be quite fun in some ways, but just like you're wearing a wetsuit full of cold water that you just slosh around in all day. So apologies if you've interacted with me over the last weekend. Um, I have mostly been, I have mostly been sad. But, um, you know, life's still great. I had a really abortive phone conversation, like a Skype conversation with my... Uh, it wasn't Skype, in fact. If I'm going to drop a brand name, I should, it was Zoom.us. Seems much more efficient. Um, a conversation with my mum and brother where I was trying to get the Boutros to have a chat with them and he was distracted. It was too near tea time. I was a fool to try and jam everything in. And uh, I felt guilty already because we were long overdue, my mum getting to see her grandson online and getting to communicate with him. And then he didn't want to talk. And I was like, oh, God, now I'm worried about what they think about him and being distant and stuff. Neither of them are remotely worried. But I just ended up in a sort of awkward, anxiety-ridden clench. And then he legged it off to have his tea. And uh, my mum made the mistake of asking me how I was doing, which uh, you'll know if you saw Primer is always one of those things. If anyone ever says to me, how are you? No, sorry. She said everything will be fine. Not how am I doing, but that everything will be fine. And that is... uh, that's a big trigger. It's not a big trigger, but if it ever functions as a trigger, if I ever start getting teary because someone says it's all going to be fine, then I, that's like a, a big flag of like, well, you're feeling a bit sad and wonky then. Uh, you might have accidentally stumbled back into what my therapist used to call the horror dimension. <laughs> Although I suspect I came up with that. He just uh, went, oh, that's as useful a way of thinking, at it as any other, thinking about it as any other. Just to sort of try and build pictures and signs and some semblance of meaning when dealing with your own mental health. We came up with this idea that, you know, you find yourself... It always always reminds me of Better Than Life from Red Dwarf. Have I talked about that before on the pod? You know, you're in this... guys from years and years ago. The crew from Red Dwarf find themselves in, like, this sort of awful version of reality and they don't realise that they're all plugged into a virtual reality computer game because it's so realistic. Um, It's called Better Than Life and it's, it's like a VR thing but an all-encompassing one and I've always thought that's an incredible metaphor for feeling depressed or for the horror dimension or whatever you want to call it when you it hides itself the, the game better than life hides itself from the players so you don't know you don't remember you're playing a game you just think that's what reality is and it's just like that isn't it so I stumbled into that dimension where everything in the world was and is as it is it's just that it all feels a bit crap and I feel a bit like I'm a bit pointless and all the rest of it. This isn't a very uplifting chat, I realise, but if you are struggling under these kind of things, just reassure yourself that even someone as apparently together as me, is that valid? <laughs> I don't know. You hear a lot of my innermost thoughts. So um, maybe you think of me as someone who's got their shit together and maybe you think of me as someone who, you know, depending on your position in the getting one's shit together strata, uh, maybe you regard me as someone who's really on it. And maybe you regard me as someone who just can't function very well. Um, But certainly if you're in the former group, then, hey, let's all be honest about the fact I had to have a couple of emergency cries in a room on my own over the weekend because uh, it may be of some value to you to know that that happens to I was going to say the best of us but that would be naturally suggesting that I I am the best of us Aussie Mandy is over here um all I mean is it's happening to everyone isn't it and you kind of hey here's a here's a, a slightly more uplifting note I've been watching Game Face 
Have you seen Game Face? I'm so late to the party on this. Me and my wife have been sneaking in little 25-minute episodes of Game Face, which is, of course, Rasheen Connerty's fantastic uh, one-person show. She wrote it and created it and is starring in it. As far as I can see, there's no additional writers. I mean, whether there are or not, what an achievement. It's fantastic. Obviously, your nearest marker is something like Fleabag, but the tone is very different. And um, I, I would suggest if you enjoyed Fleabag, then go to... Game phase only because Fleabag is obviously sort of Emmy winning and, you know, has probably a, a bigger uh, a kind of cultural footprint at the moment. So if you're into that, if that piqued your interest in that kind of one-person self-generated sitcom where it's just one person's unique vision of the world, that's really the only similarity. Get yourself on Game Face. It's on 4OD and you have to watch the adverts. What is this? 2002. Um, but... What a show. So, so funny. Carl Theobald is in it. He's excellent. And uh, lots of uh, fun people who you'll know from the world of comedy uh, keep cropping up in fun little cameos here and there. Um, but it's so, so funny. And uh, Roisin is so good at almost kind of exposing the rawness of the reality of her life. I know the character in the show and her are two distinct entities, but that those observations have to come from somewhere and she's really good at just being crap in, in, a, in such a wonderful, raw, funny, funny kind of way. So check out Game Face uh, and uh, let's leave it there because I think all I'm really saying is I've been really crap and raw all weekend, but not necessarily in that funny of a way. But um, onwards and upwards and uh, love to all of you currently listening to this bit. And um, there's so much great gear coming out on the podcast and there's so many great things in life and I'm not going to spend this week in, the, in a wetsuit full of cold water. I'm going to uh, physically... <laughs> I'm going to manhandle myself out of that wetsuit. But I think a wetsuit is a good... Um, it's quite good uh, metaphorically because if you're ever trying to get out of a wet wetsuit, it's not easy, even with that little long taggy thing on the zip. But um, we'll, we'll get there. Bye for now.